Yes? No? Who's sleeping because it's winter? Anybody gone into hibernation mode yet? <laughs> you tried to, but they're not letting you. <laughs> awesome. Uh, can we bring the lights up just a little bit? Thank you. Let's just take a moment and just turn our attention to Jesus. Just give him thanks and praise. Jesus, we love you. We're so thankful for you. Oh, you're so good. There's no one like you. You're high and exalted. The name above every other name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You're so worthy. You're so good. We just welcome you here. Thank you that you're here. Thank you, Jesus. You know, there's a verse that says that he is enthroned on the praises of his people. Or some, ver- some translations will say he's enthroned on the praises of Israel. And if you're wondering why, why we start, you know, the, the time where, the sermon time or whatever you want to call it, with praise is because, praise and thanksgiving is because when we praise him, when we lift up praises, it says he is enthroned. In, I believe it's in Matthew, Jesus says, where two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst of them. And then again in Psalms, it says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And if we're not going to go after his presence and, and set that as the ultimate purpose and goal of being here, being together, if it's not about enthroning Jesus on our praise, if we're not inviting Him when we go to read His Word, if we're not saying, Jesus, come and read this with me, then we're going to miss out on what He has for us. We're going to miss out on what He wants to say. So much of, of coming and reading the Word of God And people have gotten all kinds of crazy ideas that they try and say, well, that's from the Bible. Because we have have put a focus on reading without inviting the Holy Spirit to come and interpret what we're reading. Without inviting the one who is the very author of the Word 
to come and interpret what he wrote. And I realize this morning, as, as we do that, as we say, okay, well, let's just turn our attention to Jesus, maybe you're feeling a little uncomfortable. And maybe that's not a normal part of your, your day, maybe that's not a normal part of your life, is turning your focus and your attention to Jesus, but that's actually what worship is. When we turn our attention to Jesus. Right? That's worship. But you see, we have this obsession as a culture, as humans. It's not, even, it's not even just our culture. It's an obsession as humans. Where we believe that comfort is the ultimate goal. Right? God wants me to be comfortable, doesn't he? No, thank you. <laughs> Throughout history, the stories we tell, the people we look up to, They're the ones who decided that comfort was less important than making a difference. See, it would have been comfortable for Martin Luther King to not have a dream. It would have been comfortable for Corrie ten Boom and Oscar Schindler to go along with the Nazi party instead of standing up and making a difference. It would have been comfortable for Mother Teresa to never go to Calcutta. It would have been comfortable for the hundreds of nameless abolitionists who opened their homes to just leave their lights off and their doors closed to the Underground Railroad. But they saw there was something fighting for, something worth fighting for that was more important than comfort. See, these are the people that, that we tell their stories and, and we remake them into films and movies and plays we, we celebrate their perseverance and their, their willingness to go outside of their comfort zone. But then somehow we started to believe that God just wants me to be comfortable. That comfort should be the be-all and end-all, the, the greatest achievement of my life. See, what happens then is when we start to... to form our belief systems of who Jesus is around our comfort, around what makes us comfortable, we don't have any need for the Holy Spirit. Because guess what? He's going to make you uncomfortable. So we better just keep him, keep him in the parking lot. He might ask me to do something that I don't want to do. You know, and, and, and if that's the case, we should probably not come to church either because it's going to be uncomfortable. We should probably not build community because people are going to start calling us on our crap. And that's what we've started to build as a belief system when we go after comfort. Something that's all about, well, what is good for me? What feels right for me? And we see this actually in the life of the Israelites. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 18, it says, When the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's horn, and when they saw the flashes of lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance, trembling with fear. 
Now, if I saw a mountain on fire with thunder and lightning and loud voices coming off it, I'd be pretty freaked out too. But their response was to say, Moses, you go talk to God. We don't want, we don't, we'll, we'll listen to what you say. And they distanced themselves from the presence of God. Why? Because they wanted to stay comfortable. So it says, when Moses went up to the mountain, they all rose, but they stayed at the entrance of their tents where it was comfortable. In the same way that the Israelites chose comfort over the presence of God, we in the modern day church are at risk. We're at risk of choosing, of sacrificing the presence of God on the altar of our own comfort. To say, God, I'm not, I'm not willing to do what it takes to have you in my life because it might make me uncomfortable. But is that really the standard? Is that all that we're meant to measure up to? No, the standard for us as people who say that we are believers and followers of Jesus, the standard is this. Turn with me to quickly to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 verse 5. is what it says. It says, and consider the example that Jesus, the anointed one, has set before us. Let his mindset become your motivation. He existed in the form of God, and yet he gave no thought to seizing equality with God as his supreme prize. Instead, he emptied himself of his outward glory by reducing himself to the form of a lowly servant. He became human. He humbled himself and became vulnerable, choosing to be revealed as a man and was obedient. He was a perfect example even in his death, a criminal's death by crucifixion. Because of that obedience, God exalted him high and multiplied his greatness. He has now been given the greatest of all names. What if Jesus had said, you know what? No, actually, heaven is too comfortable for me to give up for humanity. And yet, as our example, he chose to empty himself of glory, to give up heaven, to become a man, because he loved you so much. Uh, a few weeks ago, I watched a, a film, and it's called um, Sheep Among Wolves. It's on YouTube. You can, you can look it up. You can watch it. It's, it's a good film, and it's all about the Iranian church, the church in Iran. 
And in there, they told this story of, of one young couple who actually managed to escape Iran and come to America. But after a few months, this woman was begging her husband to take her back to Iran. You say, why? Why would you want to go back and suffer under a government that, that would seek to have you killed because of your faith in Jesus? And what it was is she had recognized that the comfort of North American Christianity was more dangerous to her soul than the Iranian regime. She would rather face death every day than deal with the sleepiness. Than deal with having to, to make sure that you don't fall asleep in a, in a culture that's all about comfort. And I watched that and, and they continued to talk a little bit about, about persecution and what persecution does. But it stirred me because I don't want to be, I don't want us to be a church. Now, now don't misunderstand me. Jesus said persecution will come. But I think that there's an opportunity for the church to rise up and to be passionate and hungry for Jesus in the midst of the climate and the atmosphere and the culture that we're living in now. I don't know that it's going to take... Some people would say, well, we need persecution for that to happen. What if it didn't? What if we could be so on fire for Jesus that apathy would just melt away? That comfort, our, that our, our recognition that comfort is actually so dangerous to our souls. See, I, I believe we're actually facing a danger to our souls that is far greater than political perse uh, persecution. More dangerous than death. And it's the imminent threat of spiritual sleep. Of living as Christians without Christ. As calling ourselves followers without obedience. So this morning I want us to look at how can we actually do that. How can we be a church who regardless of a living in a culture of comfort, we can be so on fire and so passionate for Jesus. That instead of us just saying, well, because of where we live, we just have to fall asleep, we can say, no, we refuse to fall asleep. Anybody with me this morning? Or are you sleeping? <laughs> Let's go to Matthew 25. Matthew 25 is one of the parables of Jesus and it's in a, there's, there's a number of parables back to back. Jesus loved to speak in parables because he would reveal the nature of the kingdom of God. And actually says that, that he would speak in parables and everyone would be confused and then he'd explain it to his disciples. And they'd be like, well, why don't you explain this to everyone? And, and it actually is connected with an Old Testament passage where it said that they would hear but not understand. 
And so as Jesus is teaching his disciples, he's coming to the end of his life in Matthew, and he gives them this, this parable, and it's, it's an incredible parable. It's the parable about ten virgins, or uh, I might say ten bridesmaids. It says, at the, coming, or at the time of my coming draws near. Heaven's kingdom realm can be compared to ten maidens who took their oil lamps and went outside to meet the bridegroom and his bride. Five of them were foolish and ill-prepared, for they took no extra oil for their lamps. Five of them were wise and sensible, for they took flasks of oil with their lamps. When the bridegroom didn't come, when they expected, they all grew drowsy and fell asleep. Then suddenly in the middle of the night, they were awakened by the shout, Get up, the bridegroom is here. Come out and have an encounter with him. So all the girls got up and trimmed their lamps, but the foolish ones were running out of oil. So they said to the five wise ones, Share your oil with us, because the lamps, because our lamps are going out. We can't, they replied. We don't have enough for all of us. We'll have to go and you'll have to go buy more for yourselves. And while the five girls were out buying oil, the bridegroom appeared. And those who were ready and waiting were escorted inside with him. And the wedding party enjoyed the feast. And then the door was locked. And later the five foolish girls came. Lord, Lord, let us come in. But he called back, go away. Do I know you? I can assure you, I don't even know you. That is the reason you should always stay awake and be alert because you don't know the day or hour when the bridegroom will appear. This is what I want us to to walk away with this morning. The cost of your comfort will be higher than the cost of your obedience. Some of you are looking at obedience and you're thinking, man, that's a high cost. To do what Jesus is calling me or asking me to do, that's a high cost. I don't know if I can pay that. But the cost of your comfort is a higher cost to your soul than the cost of your obedience. You see, in this passage, Matthew 25 speaks of these ten virgins. Notice that that Jesus doesn't say in the world it will be like this. He says in the kingdom it will be like this. In the kingdom. This isn't a a passage about the division division between those who believe in Jesus and those who don't. This is a passage about those who, who are in the kingdom, who are in the church. Notice it also says that they're all virgins. They have all pursued a life of purity. They've set, they've gone after the right things in life. They've chosen to remain pure. And the expectation was that they would wait for the bride and groom and that in the darkness they would provide a parade of light before the bridegroom. That when the, when the bridegroom would come, the bridegroom speaking of Jesus, when he would come, they would have their lights shining brightly for him. You 
In Matthew 5.16, Jesus says this. He says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. The lamps that they were meant to shine were the lamps of their good works. That they were actually supposed to do things that would shine their light before men so that men would glorify Jesus. And the oil is the oil of the Holy Spirit. Throughout Scripture, there's multiple passages that talk about oil as a representation of the Spirit of God, of His presence with us. But without oil, the lamps are pretty useless. All the work, all the things that you do without the Holy Spirit amount to nothing. There's no work or action you can do to make yourself presentable before the King of Kings. It's His action over your lives. It's His grace where He says, I have already paid what needs to be paid. And it's the oil of His presence that is meant to fill our lives. Too often we seek the lamp of influence without the oil of his presence with us. And then we end up burning out on the fear of men without shining for the glory of God. Too often we, we, we want to be an influence, but we don't want to do the work to buy the oil so that we can actually have a lamp that makes a difference. And so we do all these things, we work and we work and we work and, and we serve and we care for people and we do all these things and we burn out on the fear of men. When it comes to obedience, maybe we hold back because we're afraid about what people might think. What would people think if I start living with the oil of the Holy Spirit in my life? What would people think if I start moving in the presence of Jesus? And so our light never brings glory to Jesus because we're afraid of man. And we let that limit our obedience. In John chapter 14, I'm just going to read this to you quickly. John chapter 14, 21 and 23. It says, Those who truly love me are those who obey my commands. Whoever passionately loves me will be passionately loved by my Father, and I will passionately love you in return and will manifest my life within you. And then verse 23, Jesus replied, Loving me empowers you to obey my word, and my Father will love you so deeply that we will come to you and make you our dwelling place. When we look at the parable in Matthew 25, the question then that, that, that we need to ask is, well, how do we purchase oil in our lives? See, it's not about works. It's not, there's nothing that you can do 
for God's presence to come and fill your life. It's about what he's already done, what he already paid for on the cross. Jesus died so that we could boldly enter the presence of God. So then how, in this parable, how do we metaphorically purchase the oil for our lamps? I would say this, if the danger that faces us is that we would sacrifice Jesus' presence on the altar of our convenience or the altar of our comfort, then the solution is that we would offer our lives on the altar of obedience. That we would choose to be obedient to Jesus. To be obedient to what he's asking us to do. We, see, we've built this idea of Jesus where it's like, well, he is just so chill and, and awesome that I can just kind of do whatever I want and, and he'll be gracious and forgive me. I can live how I want and, and I can still have him in my life. As far as Jesus goes, his love for you doesn't change. His pursuit of you doesn't change. But we must never fall into the trap of believing I can do whatever I want and his grace will cover me. So we, we see that in this parable. The, the five foolish virgins believed that they could just do whatever they wanted. They didn't necessarily need to think about the future. They, didn't, they were expecting you know, it would happen this way. They didn't need to stay awake. After all, wouldn't it be more comfortable not to carry all this oil with me? be a lot, a lot lighter movement, right? I could, I could get to where I'm going a lot quicker. But Jesus says in, in Matthew, sorry, in John 14, those who truly love me obey my commands. This is in the passage where he prophesies the coming of the Holy Spirit. And the thing that he lays out before Right? That if, if the, the coming of the Holy Spirit, he, he talks about God coming and dwelling. He says, and we will come and dwell with you. But what's the precursor to that? Anybody? What comes before him coming and dwelling? Yeah. It says, those who love me obey my commands. See, we have this idea of obedience and it's like, it's almost become a curse word. Right? Like we shouldn't teach our kids to be obedient. They should be free thinkers and allowed to do whatever they want. How's that working out for us? <laughs> obedience isn't this, isn't this fearful tyranny where, where an outside force comes and oppresses its will on us. Obedience is actually something that we choose at a heart level. And we choose it. See, what Jesus is outlining in John chapter 14, he's outlining his love language. He's saying, if you want to show me that you love me, then follow what I say. Not follow it in a way where... where you're just robotically obeying 
Not as a master and servant, but as a father and son or a father and daughter. He's inviting you to partner with him to see his word manifest in your life. That's what obedience is. It's, it's allowing his word to be manifest in your life by your actions. So he says it, I do it. Why? Because I want his word manifest in my life. It, it makes sense, doesn't it? If, if, I'm, if you tell me, well, hey, can you go and... Uh, I, I really need your help. Can you go and uh, make a pot of coffee? And I'm like, okay, I'm going to go and uh, make some juice. Right? I'm not going to see the, the, out, the output or the outcome of what you've asked me to do. Right? I'm not going to have, if I'm, if I'm thirsty for coffee, I'm not going to be able to enjoy my nice cup of coffee if I'm not Make sense? Kind of. <laughs> Sorry, I, I went on a little rabbit trail there. <laughs> the point is, what he speaks, when I do it, it manifests that word in my life. When he speaks community, and I go after community, all of a sudden, I start to, to feel included. I, feel, I start to feel valued. I start to feel cared for because of what he's declared, because of what he's spoken. When I start to... Uh, tithing is a great example of this. Jesus says, test me in this. Or sorry, God says, test me in this. Bring into your tithe into the storehouse and I will open the floodgates of heaven. We all want the floodgates of heaven's provision in our lives, right? No? Only a few of you are sure about that. <laughs> but there's our part as well. It's a partnering with what God has spoken. When we partner with the word, we, by obedience, put it into practice in our lives. And it manifests. But without putting it into practice, we're not going to see the result. Right? Yes. It was thanks to Judas and her friends' friends. She came to from London, uh, daughter of son who has have ten children, nobody was caring about him. He ended up in a hostess in here in, in an island and nobody visiting, nobody was taking her because he was bad, bad father, have four women and every time he was having children, abandon them and go on all life. And she came from London, she find him, and she was caring, paying a ticket for bring him back. She never experienced his life because she was Christian. She said, my father will not die alone here. I have to love him and, and just 
show him that I love him. This man changed from being, you know, dying and sitting in a wheelchair. He went to church even last last day. And she was asking us to help him, like, she $10 per visit, and I, and she gave me money for food for him, fruits, and and this all this man, all men, start to talk, start to going to church, eating with other people because of this love of this Christian woman, her daughter, who said, "That's my duty." God asked me to to love a father and mother, and and I will do it. And she came, she paid for everything, and she's bringing him to uh, England back to take care of him. That's love. That's love. And what we, yeah, not comfortable sitting and enjoying her own life. Thanks for sharing that, Ursula. Obedience paves the way for us to live in the presence of the Holy Spirit and to living in the power of the Holy Spirit. But there's a cost to it. The cost to the presence of God on our lives is our comfort. We have to be willing to lay down our comfort. To say, Jesus, I surrender. I lay down my life before you. Come and fill my life with your life. It's this exchange. He gives us what he has. And we give him the little piddly life. The comfort the thing that's not actually going to get us where we want to go. See, when we choose to live out obedience, it actually opens the door for God to move. It's actually the thing that keeps us awake. It's the thing that keeps us away from hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is when we, when we take the Word of God and we read it, we're like, oh, that's good. Put it on the shelf. Come back the next day. Oh yeah, that's good. Put it back on the shelf. We never do anything with what we've read. And how is it that we can have an encounter with the Word of God and not have it move us? How can I encounter the very Word that spoke at creation and things were created Light came to be. How can I encounter that word and then walk away unmoved? How can I have an encounter with Jesus and then walk away like nothing's happened? I can't, it's not possible. But when we settle into comfort, when we settle into this sleep that Jesus warns about in, in Matthew 25, the spiritual sleep, 
it paves the way for, for complacency. For being readers of the word, but not doers of the word. And you say, well, what about grace? Isn't there grace if I, if I mess up? Absolutely. But grace is an empowering for us, is, is, is the empowerment that we need to be obedient. It's not the excuse for our disobedience. Grace is calling, is God calling us back and saying, hey, you can do this. Grace is, is God coming alongside us when we've fallen and restoring us back to the place that we don't deserve to be. So that we can continue to manifest his word through our obedience. I want to say this. If we're not willing to be obedient, then we can't call ourselves followers of Jesus. This idea of, of being a follower without being obedient to what Jesus has spoken to our lives. What Jesus has spoken by not putting that into practice in our lives. You can change that in a moment. You can start taking what he's saying and putting it into practice. I'm not saying don't be a follower of Jesus. Absolutely, be a follower of Jesus. But don't call yourself one and then not do it. Because all that does is tell the world that we're a bunch of hypocrites. That's true. So what do we say I can't do that God has made us able to do? What are we, what are we limiting ourselves, what call on our lives are we limiting ourselves to because of our comfort? Is there somebody that God has been speaking to you and saying, hey, I want you to go talk to that person? Is there a sick person that he wants you to go pray with? Is there somebody that he's highlighting that he wants you to be a part of discipling them, of training them? Is there somebody that he's calling you to love? Is there somebody he's inviting, he's asking you to invite over for dinner? What are the things that he's calling us to where we're saying, I can't do that? What are the things he's calling us to that because of our comfort, we feel like we can't do that? We need to stop building a theology around what we're comfortable with and start taking what Jesus has spoken as the guidelines, as the direction for our lives.
See, when I start beholding the beauty of Jesus, when I look at what he has done, that he set the example of giving up his comfort, the comfort of heaven for me, how can I not want to be obedient? For me, that's the motivator. It's, I want to be obedient because I see the example of Jesus. Because I see he poured out so much for me, how can't I want to just pour out myself? What a sad excuse that... that see, one day we will all stand before Jesus. Every single person in the world will stand before Jesus. And how sad... Remember, Matthew 25 is talking about those in the kingdom, those in the church. How sad that some of us will miss out on the reward of eternity because we chose comfort now. There is such, so much better, greater reward that Jesus has for you. Yeah, you had a question? agree with the other messages you know I, I come every Sunday and 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 hear this and I it just resonates with me and I love it but I find it difficult in the practical application and I find myself uh, you know I feel weak I feel um, and I know, you know, we should have this intimate relationship with Jesus. And, you know, you just kind of, you know, spend more time. I find it difficult to spend time to remember. I get busy in my day. And I'm just thinking it would be amazing to ha And I know we have these house groups. But ours meets every two weeks. And we, you know, sometimes get carried away. It's wonderful. But I think it would be great talking about community to have a forum where we could get together on a regular basis and talk about our issues and our difficulties and, and how, how we can get closer and share ideas and share our frustrations and really apply all the things that you're telling us. Because I go away and, and I, you know, I spend the week and, and I come back next Sunday and I hear this message and I go... I probably haven't done anything that you told me to do last Sunday, you know? And so I don't know how other people feel, but to me, church has to be something where you can apply it practically in, in community. So I need help. Thank you. Yeah, that's good. Thank you for sharing that, Gloria. The presence of God is something and and yes i i will will um we can talk about the forum for that as well um but the the presence of God is so practical 
it's not, even this idea of obedience, we can look at it of, as, as God is, you know, either we're obedient or we're not, and if we're not, then he's there with a big stick to beat us into line. But that's not the heart of a father. As we, as we say, you know what, Jesus, I want to be obedient. We all screw up in it. There's times where he tells me to do stuff and I'm like, I don't really want to right now. I, I, that seems a little bit too hard. I don't feel like I'm ready for that. And he is so gracious to come alongside of us. Not condemning and saying, how could you? How dare you? Look, you weren't, you, you weren't listening. But to come alongside of us and say, hey, my son, my daughter, I love you so much. I'm right here. I'm with you. It's not meant to, none of what we've been talking about with the presence of God is meant to be done on your own. The idea even that, that, that there's something we could do to make God care about us or want to be around us more. Absolutely, I, I believe we're meant to live out holiness, we're meant to live out obedience, and, uh, we're meant to live out purity, but those things are a result of Jesus in our lives. And whether you're just starting out this morning and you're like, you know, I don't know about all of this. Or whether you've been a follower of Jesus for many, many years. Those steps of obedience look different. It's not about measuring up to, well, that person went over and, and raised the dead. Yes, we're all called to raise the dead. That's, Jesus said that at the end of, at the end of uh, I think it's at the end of Mark or Luke. At the end of one of the books. Anyway, the, the steps of obedience look different for every person, but it's the heart. Of course, we, the, you know, we go through the week and there's multiple times that where we forget his presence with us. Where we get distracted, where we get sidetracked. But I would bet you this. I bet you you're in his presence more now than you were two months ago. I bet you're, even, you're aware of his presence more now than you were in January. The point isn't that, that we go through this message series and, and by the end of it we all do it perfectly. It's how are we aware of his presence now compared to where we were a few months ago? Are we pursuing him more? Do we have more of a desire to be with him? Because there's this, there's this tension that we live in, that we're called to live in, where we want to encounter the presence of Jesus. And then either we get distracted with something, or something happens, or whatever it is, but we still have this desire that we want to be in his presence. And some of that, being in his presence, doesn't happen 
until we, we experience being restored to glory. And so there's this tension. But it's a continual pursual of his face. Yes. No mic, okay. That's really good. Uh, another really practical um, point is when we're going after being in the presence of God, we can do this thing where we strive and we work and we, it's like, if I pray harder, then I will be in his presence more. But actually that draws us out of his presence because it's all about our works then. It's when we come and we rest. It's the moments where I, sometimes I just feel overwhelmed with all the stuff that's going on. We've got a new baby on the way. Okay, there's a lot that goes on with that. With, with, with work, with family, whatever it is. And I can feel like if I just would pray harder. But it's not that. It's when I rest and I start just, sometimes I'll just sit there and I'll just turn my attention to Jesus. It's those moments, maybe I'm driving in the car, maybe I'm brushing my teeth and I'm just, my attention is turned to Jesus. Jesus, you're so great, you're so worthy, you're so wonderful. Well, yes, still brushing teeth, yes, of course. (laughs) It's important. (laughs) Sometimes it's just, it's, it's just, being in that place where we recognize that he's here. Not that I have to do something to cultivate some feeling that he's here, but that he is actually here with me. And I just turn my attention to him and I just thank him for that. This last week I had, a, I had an experience where I was up in prayer and and praying and up in the prayer room and I didn't really feel anything happen until I walked out of the prayer room and as I was walking down the hall I felt his presence just fill the room. I could could just feel it come. And for me in that moment what I needed to do to be obedient was just turn my attention to him. Even though it was in the middle of a hallway in the middle of you know it wasn't in the prayer time but it was in the in between time. I'm going to close with this. We're already over time. Thank you guys for being patient. And This is a quote from A.W. Tozer from his book, Pursuit of God. It says, Let any man turn to God in earnest. Let him begin to exercise himself unto godliness. 
Let him seek to develop his powers of spiritual receptivity by trust and obedience and humility. And the result will exceed anything he may have hoped in his leaner and weaker days. Any man who by repentance and a sincere return to God will break himself out of the mood in which he has been held and will go to the Bible itself for its spiritual standards will be delighted with what he finds there. The cost of your comfort is higher than the cost of your obedience. Let's pray. Sarah, do you want to come up? Jesus, you're here. We welcome you. We just turn our attention to you. Just turn your attention to him. Lift up your voice. Jesus, you're worthy. You're glorious. You're here. You're the king of kings. Name above every other name. You're so gracious and compassionate. You restore us over and over and over again. You draw us to yourself. Church, he's here. He's here this morning.